Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to see you guys. Last time I preached, uh, I wasn't feeling so well. Today, I'm feeling great. Energy. So, buckle up. <laughs> I know we have a, a smaller than a normal crowd this morning. We, uh, a lot of folks sick, a lot of folks out of town. Um, we got Brandon and Kinsley who are, uh, made it safely to Las Vegas to pray for them on a variety of fronts. <laughs> um, but the, the, message, the message this morning is um, it's important. It's not that they're not all important. They're always important. They're important not because I say anything or because Matt says something. It's important because God says it. And uh, as we open his word this morning, we're going we're gonna to find a call to go. We're going to find a call to labor for the gospel. You know, it's kind of been a theme, even a theme last week of, of this single-minded pursuit of the gospel, of, of the Christian life, pursuit of Christ. And, and you, you've already kind of seen this theme throughout Luke. And so... Oh, we have a, a, a smaller congregation this morning and, and, and a theme that we've already kind of been familiar with. I think this morning there's, there's a, a potential to just kind of sit back and act like this text isn't for you. This text this morning is for you. And the call this morning is to you. And church, collectively, this call is for us. And it's an important call. It's a God-glorifying call. It's the best call that we could possibly be called to. I want us to see that this morning. I want us to lean into that call. I want us to listen with, with fresh ears and fresh hearts and fresh eyes as we gaze upon the text. And we, and we see what Christ has called us to do. So lean in this morning. When, when the temptation comes for, for apathy, when the temptation for, for boredom, when the, when the temptation to, to think that this is for somebody else, I, I want you to fight. I want you to pray that the Spirit would give you hearts just to, to, to crave what Christ says this morning. I want you to crave it. Because He's calling us to something absolutely amazing. See that this morning. He's calling us to something Amazing. With that, my main point this morning is this. What is he calling us to? Main point, listen. The king, the king is sending his messengers out into the world with a message of peace and a message of judgment. The king is the one and only true king, the king of kings, the lord of lords. The king is sending his messengers out into the world with a message of peace and a message of judgment. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I, I, I want you to gaze upon the text this morning. So open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably some down in the chairs. I, I want you to look at it. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16 this morning. And there's a chance I don't make it through the whole sermon. So I won't keep you here until 1230. But uh, so I, if, if I need to, I'll, I'll, I'll punt and finish it next week. But um, Luke 10, 1 through 16. I at least want to get this main point one out this morning. So follow along in Luke 10, 1 through 16 as I read. Follow along in your Bible. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborers deserve deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. 
Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hear, hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. May God bless the reading of his word. Point one, Jesus uses his authority to send us out. Jesus uses his authority to send us out. You might be thinking, Brian, this text sounds familiar. Didn't you just preach a message like this like a few months ago? Yes, I did, friends. Yes, I did. At the beginning of chapter 9, we find uh, this moment where, where Jesus, he, he sets aside the, the apostles and he sends them out with a very similar mission and the same authority, with the same power, the power to heal and, and the, the power to proclaim, the power to you know, cast out demons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's very similar. But at this point, we, we, we got to notice that Jesus doesn't just send out the apostles. He starts with the apostles. He starts with that inner group, the, the 12 that were the closest to Jesus. But, th- but then he sends out here 72 others, 72 distinct others. NASB says 70. I realize that. Um, I believe more in the original manuscripts, you're going to find 72. Uh, the point's debated. Not a big deal. We can talk about that more on Wednesday night because it's not the main point of the sermon. Here's the main point. Jesus is sending other people out. A larger group other than just the apostles. It starts with the apostles and and it floods into 72 others. And he sends them out two by two. And he sends them out on ahead of Jesus. So he sends them out uh, to these towns where Jesus was about to go. And he sends them out as like messengers. Kind of like a town crier who's saying, the king's coming, the king's coming. Prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way. We kind of get that imagery here. He sends these 72 others out two by two to share the message of the kingdom before the king comes. That's their message. That's what they're there to do. And just even up front, what we kind of recognize here is that they're like Christian ministry. It's not a solo sport. It's not. You see here, Jesus is sitting them out in groups to encourage one another, to challenge one another. It's not about any one of them. It's not about any one of their giftings. It's not about any one of their personalities. It's not about any one of their wealth, their good looks, or anything like that. That should be in our church. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Matt. It's not about the elders. This is Christ's church, not not our church. This is Christ's church, not the one in the pulpit's church, not the smartest person's church, not the most gifted person's church. This is Christ's church. We do what he calls us to do and be what he calls us to be. May we never make it about one person, one gifting. Jesus here, he sends these, these... 72 others out in, in, in groups. And what's he say? As he sends them to proclaim this message of the kingdom before the king gets there, he tells them something. In verse 2, he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus tells them this. He's, before you go, I've got to know something. Disciples, those who follow me, those who are going to go, you got to, go to the, you got to know this. It's important. The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. It's abundant. It's huge. What is this harvest? What is a harvest? You think about this. The imagery would have been normal for people at this time. 
I know we've got more and more people. I think yeah, Ashley and Jen and Stephanie and, and uh, Abby. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave some others. I, I know some of you guys are super into to, to gardening and, and planting, and that's good. That's awesome. It's, I love it. You're all about the harvest. Some of us, you know, we're, we're, we, we aren't so inclined to, un, to understand the concept of harvest. We go to the grocery store, and, and the harvest is bountiful, and we pick it up. We did no work for it. We just pay for it, and we just trust that it was all done well and ethically and whatever. But the, the, the harvest, it's, it's a gathering of crops after great toil and labor. Think about that. It was a, it's a farming, farming picture he gives, farming analogy he gives us here. I hear, I hear some of the conversations in the church about how hard it is. You know, maybe it was Stephanie last week. She was saying how hard it is. For, for, was it peppers or something? They're not growing. Like, but you're toiling. You're working. You're working hard to get it right. And maybe you get a little bit of crop. Maybe you don't. But what's produced, however little or however much, from the toil and labor, and sometimes it could be months of labor, if you're in farming, you know that you might spend months and months and months for this fall harvest or this summer harvest. However little or however much, that is the harvest. The crops that are produced, the fruit. One can think of it as a profit of sorts for your work. One can think of it as a, as a reward for your work. And, and in this moment, as Jesus is sending his disciples out before him, he gives us this imagery of a field. This field that is ripe with grain. Good grain to eat. With, it's, it's ripe with fruit. It's, it's ripe with vegetables. All to be picked. He's saying, he's saying, in a world where there was a scarcity of resources, in a, in a world where there wasn't a Publix or the Whole Foods, or there wasn't, you know, uh, grocery delivery services, there was scarcity of resources, Jesus tells his disciples, my friends, I'm sending you out into this field, and you got to know, take a look, it is ripe for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. This isn't like, you know, the day after Christmas sale, where, where, you, where you know, you go after Christmas and it's all picked through. To just go find what you can find. You know what I mean? We're going to go shopping and you can't find anything. It's all picked through. He's saying, bros, look out into the field. It's, it's plentiful. It's plentiful. And here Jesus is referring to the abundance of souls out in the world that are indeed a part of the elect. The souls out into this world. I'm, I'm sending you out to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And I want you to know, as, as you go, you've got to know this. The harvest is plentiful. It's profitable. It's rewarding. It is good. Because Christ promised to save sinners. There are those that, the, uh, that, that uh, uh, Ephesians 1 talks about the, the, those that have been predestined before the foundation of the earth. Those that the God, the Father, has given to Christ the Son. This is a promise. Before the world was created, hear me, friends. God the Father predestined that there, there would be those that were saved. Before he said, let there be light, the Father had on his mind those whom he would predestine to give to the Son. Amen. That's a promise. And Jesus is saying, guys, I'm sending you out into a world that is going to be full of people that will trust me because the Father predestined it. And this sentence, this simple concept that the harvest is plentiful, these are words, this is a fact this. This is a fact. Which I, want that, I, want that, I want that to just be cemented into your mind. And I want it to be cemented into your heart. I want you to remember this. This is important. It's, you think you've heard this verse a thousand times, but I want you just to, to meditate on it. These are words spoken from Jesus, and he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful. 
The harvest is plentiful. It is. It really is. Like, why? Because this fact should ignite our hearts. This, 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 this fact should ignite our hearts for Christ. This fact should ignite our hearts to go. This, this fact should ignite our hearts to labor. It should. It'd be one thing if Jesus was like, uh, it's a scarcity of resources out there. You're going to have to, you may not find anybody. You got to go, you got to go, you know, pick through the line at Goodwill and you might find a few treasures. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. This should ignite our fire to labor for the Lord, for the Lord church. It should. But maybe you're sitting there right here this morning and, you're, and it doesn't. You're sitting here this morning and you're apathetic. You don't care. You're bored. This fact is you've heard it for 40, 50, 60, whatever years, and you're not moved at all. Why? Why? There's a few options. Perhaps you don't actually believe this. Perhaps you actually don't believe the harvest is plentiful. Instead, you, you might have this attitude that Christ came to save just a small few amount of sinners. Just a few. It's just, just going to be small in number, and it will not impact the world at all. That's Christianity. Small little sect, tiny amount of people. You know, we might, if we're lucky, share the gospel. We, and we might see some folks come to know Christ, but you know, it's mainly for gifted people like Billy Graham or John Piper, but you know, it's rare. So we'll let those heavy gifted people do all the work because the harvest actually isn't as plentiful as Jesus says. But I can't help but look at Revelation 7, 9 through 12 and, and read this as, as, as John gets a glimpse of heaven you know what he says? He says, after, after this, I looked, and behold, a tiny segment of the population, you know, a, a real niche market was around the, th the throne. A tiny group, tiny demographic, you know, just this small group around the throne, making a little noise. That's what he says. No! Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says this from John as he looks at the throne. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great number, a great multitude that no one could number. Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine this great multitude that no one can number? I can look at the Brave Stadium and I can see, I know how many people are there and I can number it because I, I, I've seen it. But can you imagine a sea of people, a multitude of people? That no one can number. I'll tell you this, Revelation gives you a lot of numbers. It's not for a lack of details that John didn't want to put this here. John says this, there's a multitude that no one can number around the throne. And he gets into more detail from, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This isn't just a an American religion. It's not just a Jewish religion. It's not regional in its fact. It's not regional in its reach. And no, I know I'm loud, but I'm excited. I hope you are. And here's what they're doing. They got one purpose. Different skin color, different languages, different nations, different backgrounds, but one passion, one purpose. One action, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing the same things, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying this, 
Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, does that, does, does that get your soul fired, church? Or are you bored? Or are you waiting for lunch? Or are you looking at your cell phone right now thinking, what time will I be done? Look at the words of our Lord and understand that the harvest is plentiful. He's sending us out to a mission that, that includes multitudes of people. This isn't a mission of failure. This is a mission of success. You want to look at something profitable? You want to do something profitable with your time? It's not look at the stock market. It's not play baseball. It's not relax. It's not going vacation. Get involved in something guaranteed to produce its, its intended result. The advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So perhaps you look at that and you think, I don't believe that. Look at what John saw. This ain't some little, little regional idea here. This ain't some little regional religion. Some small little message with a sm small group of people. This is the best news of the most exclusive club that's huge in the entire world. Catch that vision, church. Maybe, maybe we don't get excited. Maybe our fire is not ignited to labor for the Lord because the harvest is plentiful. Because maybe Christ saving sinners doesn't give us any joy. Maybe the fact that Christ saves sinners doesn't move us. Why? Why? Perhaps it's because we have forgotten the grace that we received. Perhaps we have forgotten how sweet it is to receive grace from God. Mercy from God, forgiveness from God, sight from God, new life from God, sanctification from God. Perhaps we've forgotten. Our hearts have become dull and our eyes have become dull as if we've earned it, as if we deserve it, as if it's something that should be taken for granted. Listen to Paul here in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. He says, I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He's pointing out this fact that he's thanking him for allowing him to serve and allowing him to, to go share the gospel and allow him to build the church. He's praising God for that. But, but listen, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Well, I, I did... I, I hated Christ, and I hated those who loved Christ. I actively chose to work against Christ, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's not that Paul changed his mind. It's that God gave him mercy. God saved him. God worked in spite of him. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy. Look, he, look, I receive mercy. This is Paul speaking. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul understands that, that in his receiving of mercy, it was so that he would go out and proclaim the mercy and grace of God. There's a connection there. The saving of sinners. That he was saved so that he would go out and preach the good news of Christ so that other sinners would be saved. So that Christ would be glorified. And here's how he responds, friends. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The only response is worship. Or, perhaps you've forgotten the grace you've received, or... Maybe you are more concerned with your own comfort. Maybe you are concerned with your own glory rather than Christ's. Paul says this in Philippians. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So, listen, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. It's not ample cause to glory in Paul. Not ample... Uh, cause to glory in his ministry or glory in his giftings, but to glory in Christ alone. It wasn't about Paul. Paul's whole life, his, his whole single purpose, his whole single focus was the glory of Christ. It was the glory of Christ. So we see this harvest. We see this mission. And it's guaranteed success. It's joyful. It should produce joy. It should produce worship. It should produce happiness. It should produce fulfillment. It should. And it does, mind you. And even though there's this glorious and abundant mission that we're called to, as Jesus Christ says, the harvest is plentiful, he says. It's glorious, he says. It's wonderful, he says. But the laborers are few. The laborers are few. It's interesting right now. You, everywhere you look, you see long lines at restaurants. You see long lines in hotels. You almost see long lines everywhere you go. And there's work to be done. And there's no one to hire. There's a labor shortage everywhere you go. They're like, hey, help wanted, help needed. Come in. We see, we see this practically. See it at public. I mean, wherever you go, you see it. A job, there's, there's an overabundance of jobs and not enough people willing to take them. When you see that, instead of getting frustrated this week, I was at the, I was at the varsity yesterday. You go there once a year, you know. Don't judge me. We were at the varsity yesterday, and it was as packed that I've ever seen it. I was like, wow, they're busy. I was like, actually, no, they're not. It's wow. There's not enough workers. There's red, empty registers everywhere, which has never been something I've ever seen at the varsity. I want you to see this. When you see that, think of this. When you go to Chick-fil-A, when you go to Publix, and you, and, you, and you see this overabundance of business they could be doing if they had more workers, I want you to think of what Jesus is saying here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let it, let it take your mind back to what Christ is calling us to do, to labor. And notice the, the, the word that Christ uses. He says, laborers. He doesn't just say intellectual Thought leaders, smart people, conversation starters. What word does he use? He uses the word laborer. There's a field out there with harvest ready to be picked. It requires labor. This means hard work. This means effort. This means sweat. This means late night. It means early mornings. It means sacrifice. It means, hey, honey, I'm going to be home late. You got the kids. Next night, hey, I've got the kids. You're out. It means, hey, we're going to stay up late to disciple our kids. We're going to be there for our kids. Whatever that means. It means hard work. And it means sacrifice. It's, 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 not a, it's not a burdensome work. It's not a toiling work. It's a glorious work. But it is, church, it is hard work to toil for the gospel. That's what we're called to. We're not called to a life of laziness. We're not called to a life of luxury. We're not called to a life of apathy. We're not called to a life that says, well, I will partake in the mission as long as it's easy. We're called to a life of labor. Labor. Even in, our, even in our culture today, when we think of laborers, those who are working hard, we, you, you drive up to Quick Trip and there's 20, 30, 50 day laborers there. We don't respect that. We're like, oh, that's, that's kind of, I'm beneath that. I, I'm beneath that kind of work. I'm, I'm beneath restaurant work. I'm beneath sweating. I, whatever that is. 
In our culture today, we, we don't value labor. They certainly didn't value it then either. We, we, just, we just want a job that we, we don't have to work too hard, don't have to sweat, don't have to think too much. We hate labor. But here's what we're called to. We're called to labor. That's what Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for laborers. Because the only thing they can do to get the fruit in the field is labor for it. But here's the problem. As I mentioned moments ago, we likely have no labor because we have people who don't value the harvest. That's the problem. Don't value the harvest because they don't value the Savior. Their hearts aren't gripped by a love for Christ and His glory alone. We have people that are, not, that are not up for this task. Maybe even our church. You see the call to go and you think someone else. You see the call to labor and you think somebody else. You see the call to study and to go, and to risk, and to sacrifice, and to stay up late, and you think somebody else, and I think somebody else. That's our temptation. That's our temptation. We have people that are too scared of the work. We might have people that think, this work isn't for me. I'm too old. I'm too old for this. The Lord would not use an old person like me. I mean, I know he used Moses, but you know. I mean, I know Joseph was pretty old at one time. I mean, I could keep going if you want me to. You go to the Old Testament, most of the people the Lord's using, you know who it is? Old people. Old people. You know what the Bible has a lot to say about negatively? About younger people. All right? I'm talking to myself. You are not too old to risk your life for the gospel. If there's life, in, if, if, there's, if there's breath in your lungs, my older crowd... Use it for the kingdom. Risk it for the kingdom. We love going back 21 years ago to listen to John Piper's message. Don't waste your life. Oh, are we get goosebumps when we, when we think about uh, Ruby Eliason. Is that her name, Hunter? Yeah, you know, Hunter knows. Ruby Eli I should ask Matt. Ruby Eliason? He's a John Piper guy, yeah. Something like that. The lady and her friend who who went and risked it all in her old age, in her retirement, and to go reach some unreached people group, and they ended up dying in a car crash off a cliff. And we love that. Like, I mean, I'm just so inspired by, by, by people that, that, would, that would give their life in their old age to do that. That's courage. That's amazing. That's admirable. And dear friends, we look at that, and we get the goosebumps, we think it's an amazing story, and we say, that's not for me. I respect that, but it's not for me. I would like to be that, but that's not for me. I'm just talking to the older folks, talking to the young folks as well. Well, I've got kids. Well, I'm in college. You know, I'm entitled to a four-year degree and a six-figure income. I'm entitled to the American dream. I'm entitled, I'm entitled, I'm entitled, I'm entitled... This is exactly what God would call me to because that's exactly what he's calling the unbelieving world to. And automatically in this moment today, maybe you're sitting here, you're in high school, you're in middle school, you're in college, you're newly married, you're single, and you're just sitting here thinking like, one day, one day maybe, but not today. Not today. Not today, Lord. Not today. I'm a parent. I'm busy. Not today. I've got eight kids, not today. I've got a business, not today. I don't have enough money, not today. I'm not smart enough, not today. I'm not prepared, not today, Lord. 
The harvest is plentiful. And whatever excuses there are out there, the laborers are few. They're few. Yet, Christ still calls for workers. He still calls for workers. Here he's, he's telling his disciples, he's sending them out before him. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. We have people who, who, who don't want to work, who don't want to labor. So what do we do? Maybe that's you right now. Maybe it's you. What do we do about the labor shortage? You know what Jesus doesn't say? Jesus doesn't just say go. He doesn't guilt them into going. He doesn't encourage them to take their bad attitudes, their self-reliance, and their selfish hearts to the mission field. It's not what he does. He doesn't say, I know you don't feel like it. I know you don't want to go. I know you hate it. I know you feel just begrudgingly. So I'm just going to try to give you a guilt trip and go. He doesn't say that. Rather, he encourages his disciples to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Pray for laborers. Pray. Pray. Pray for this. When... Be honest. When was the last time this was on your prayer list? I've been coming here for years. On Wednesday night. I've never heard us pray for this. Not once. We'll pray, we'll pray for Aunt Sally's toothache. We'll pray that we can get rich. We'll pray for ease and we'll pray for comfort. But Jesus, our King, our Savior, you know what He tells them? Pray for this. Pray earnestly for this. This is urgent. This is important. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. When we don't see laborers rising up among us, Community Bible Church, we should pray that the Lord would raise up the workers. In fact, we need, hear me, we need the Lord to raise up workers. We need the Lord to send the workers. Only the Lord can do this. You think about that. I mean, sure, we, we, like, the preach team, we could get together. We could, we could go and, and we could conjure up some conversation that guilts you into going. There's, there, there's plenty of conferences for young people out there that want to make you feel the call to action that's not rooted in anything but your own narcissism and self-ego. There's plenty of them out there. And you, 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 can, you can get a little money and you can feel good about yourself and, it, and it's fleeting. It's fleeting. We could do that. We could guilt you. We could manipulate you. We could use your emotions and do all that. We could do that. Plenty of people do it. I'm not talking about that. You don't need the Lord for that. You need good music and a preacher with a good personality that can look you in the eye and talk softly. That's what you need there. But to do what Christ has called us to do, to faithfully go out and to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do, we need the Lord to send. We need the Lord to send. We absolutely are in need of the Lord to send because only the Lord can change our hearts to go with pure motives. Only he can do that. I can't do it. Matt can't do it. Tom can't do it. Doug, Pat, no, no, nobody can do it. We cannot change your heart. 
You cannot change my heart. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord can give me a passion for unreached people groups. Only the Lord can give me a passion for his glory. Only the Lord can change my heart to love him and to desire to serve him and to obey him and to proclaim his name for his glory alone. Only he can do that. And that's what he's calling us to do. Nothing less. Nothing less. Only the Lord can send people to difficult situations and sustain them by the power of the Spirit. Only the Lord can do that. You think, how do these people go to the nations and do it day after day after day after day, and their kids get sick, and their kids die on the mission field, and their lives are threatened, and they're in poverty, and they leave AC and electricity and the American dream, and they go, and they stay, and it's fruitful, and they receive persecution. How? How do you wonder that? Because the Lord sends them. Because the Lord sustains them. The Lord does the work. It's not for the glory of the missionary. It's for the glory of the one who sins. And we must understand this. That it is his harvest. Do you see that? He said to them, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the Lord's harvest. This is Jesus' harvest. It is his reward given by the Father, not the trophy of the laborer. This is his church. This is his reward. He's he's the one who did the work to to, to plant and to sow and, and to bring up the fruit. He's the one who did it. He calls us to to go out into the fields and pick the fruit and bring it back to him. That's what we're called to do. Not to take a bite of it along the way, not to, 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 you know, it's like we walk into Publix. Can you imagine the audacity? You walk into Publix and you go, you fill up a big bag of apples and you you get a photo for Facebook as if like, you know, I did that. Like you did anything. You did nothing. You did no work for that. That would be the stupidest thing in the entire world. Oh, may we not think that any good, any way that the Lord worked, that it was because of us. It is his harvest. It is his reward. He's the one that did the work. It is his trophy, not ours. And it is important to our Lord. So it should be important to us. I think of a, a story. Maybe some of you have heard this story. It's a pretty famous story. And many facts have been embellished over many years. But um, there was a man named Johann Dober and David Nishman, And they lived in the 1700s. And they were um, Moravian brethren from Germany. And in the year 1732, it was convicted among their hearts by God that they would go and minister to African slaves on the islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix in the Danish West Indies. Was, you know, they didn't take an airplane. They didn't, it wasn't an easy trip. As hard as it might be for Pat, or, you know, we go across the sea, and it's not fun to be on an airplane. I mean, you can only imagine taking ships and, and everything else that involved in that. 1732. Difficult trip. And they were met with great opposition. Because the places they were going, it was, it was very dangerous. Very, um, there, there was not a great desire to be evangelized. The, these slave owners with these African slaves, he was, he was an atheist, and... and he wanted nothing to do with Christ. But, but the Lord had set these African slaves upon Johann and David's hearts. So what they were planning on doing 
was to sell themselves into slavery. To sell themselves into slavery. To go. To reach these African slaves for Christ. That was their goal. Problem was, it wasn't allowed. The slave owner, like, and everything that I could tell, they're like, we, we, we don't put white people in slavery, basically. Can't do that. It's not allowed. Well, they didn't give up. They just said, well, if we can't do that, then what we're going to go do is we're going to move there and we're going to use our trade. We're going to start a business. We're going to live there. We're going to do life there. We're going to use the gifts and skills that God's given us to make a living for ourselves so that we can be around these people and reach these people for Christ. And that's what they did. And as they hopped on that ship and as they were, they were going away, as they, they shouted back to their families this phrase. I'm going to stick with this this morning. I pray this would be the heart of all of us. That if we were to leave our families, we were to leave our jobs, we were to leave our earthly pursuits, we were to leave any of that. May this be our prayer. This is what, this is, this is what um, David said, or I'm sorry, Johann Dober said. He said this, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That was his heart's desire. To potentially sell himself into slavery, which didn't work, but he didn't give up. He still went. He still, he still picked up his life here, went somewhere else across the world to preach the gospel to slaves those whom the world did not care about, those whom the world did not love, those whom the world thought they were better than, but those who are important to the Lord Jesus Christ. He left everything for this motive, for this motive, friends. Not his own glory, not a pat on the back, not his own legacy, but this, that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. That's a heart that wants Jesus to be honored. That, that, that's a heart that, that desires the glory and honor of Jesus above all else. That is single-minded about Jesus and nothing else. We need that kind of heart. I need that kind of heart. I need that kind of heart. It's not a nice addition to the Christian life, a little add-on, a little cherry on top. No, friends, this is the Christian life, that we would be about Jesus in his glory alone. That is the Christian life in a nutshell. Nothing else, nothing else is the Christian life. I talked about it last week. You put your hand to the plow and look back, not enough. Single-minded focus, glory for Christ focus. And we must have that, and only the Lord can do it. You know why? Because here he says, go your way. Go your way. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money back, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. We need that. We need that single-minded focus. We need that sustenance from the Lord. We need that type of perspective. We need that type of heart because the mission can be dangerous. The mission can be costly. Lambs in the midst of wolves. There's a world that wants to devour you because they hate Christ. There's a world that may want to put you to death because you love Christ. There's a world that doesn't want you to succeed because you love Christ. And so you must love Christ more than this life. You must love Christ more than your job. You must love Christ more than your house. You must love Christ more than your money. You must love Christ more than your comfort. You must love Christ more than your bed, more than your baseball, more than your education, more than your family, period. You must. It's necessary. It's not an add-on, friends. Do you see the words of Jesus last week as Matt preached? It is necessary. Anything less, friends, 
is not the Christian life. Anything less. Brian, you're, you're worrying me because that's not my heart. And I recognize that. And that doesn't sit well with me. Not that what you're saying doesn't sit well with me, but I don't like that right now in the moment. My heart is for everything else. My heart's for everything else. My heart's for my job. My heart's for my education. My heart's for my family. My heart's for my future. Pray. Pray. What's your application this morning? Write it down. Pray, 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 and pray, and pray, and seek the Lord daily, daily, daily. Say, Lord, give me this kind of heart. Lord, give me this kind of focus. Don't try to conjure it up within yourself. Don't try to just go fight these losing battles in the flesh saying, I've just got to conjure it up. I've got to do something that conjures this up. You can't do it. You can't. You can't try hard enough to have this heart. You can't try hard enough to want Christ to be glorified in your heart. You can't. Only the Lord can do it. Only the Lord can send the laborers. Period. That's the point. So, may we be people. May we be people who are on our knees before the Lord praying that he would make us like this. May that be us, church. Because often I look around, and and I'll just speak for myself. This doesn't describe me. And I've got a feeling in your life, in your marriage, in your family, it may not describe you either. So what will you do? Will you leave here? Will you leave here and be okay with that? Will you leave here recognizing that you're walking in disobedience and you're not walking by faith and just be okay with that? Or in your notes or on your phone right now, you write down, Lord, I need to repent. I need to pray. I need to seek the Lord. I need to ask him to change me and to make me like Christ. Lord, I I recognize maybe I do have a passion for you. And I see all these different ways in which I could go. All these different ways in which I could go share the gospel. All these ways, Lord. And I don't want to say no. Don't want to say no. I want to live my life for your glory. I want you to send me. I want this world to know you because you are great. How do I know? Because I know you and I've experienced your greatness. Do not harden your hearts this morning, Community Bible Church. Do not harden your hearts. Do not roll your eyes. Do not shut off. If the Spirit is convicting your heart this morning like He has convicted mine, obey. Respond in obedience. And see the goodness of Christ in your life and in your heart. Watch Him change you, church. May God be faithful to do that, and he will. Amen.